Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the African Five Aside podcast. My name is Meher Mizahi. I'm your host, and we are no longer in Cote d'Ivoire. We are no longer at the African Cup of Nations. Uh, we're back in Algiers, but we're going to do one final episode, um, sort of recapping the fallout of the African Cup of Nations for all 24 teams. Um, so, yeah, my name is Meher Mizahi. I'm not sure if I've already said that or not. Uh, thank you for tuning in. And without further ado, let's go through each of the 24 teams. Let's see if they made coaching changes or not. And let's see what's on the horizon uh, for all of them. I'm going to try to limit it to one to four minutes for each of them. That way we don't have um, too long of a show. So uh, before we start, uh, I just want to hopefully, hopefully say that we're going to limit this to 34 to 40 minutes, something like that. (laughs) Okay, here goes. So the main question in Morocco is, what is going to happen with Walid Regragi? Um, we know the answer now. That was the question after the after the African Cup of Nations. We know that he's going to stay with the Moroccan national team. And it might be a shock to some to think, you know, how could they fire their coach after being eliminated in the knockout stages of the African Cup of Nations after he took them to the semifinals of the World Cup? And what I would say is that after listening to a lot of very intelligent Moroccan journalists speak about Walid Regragi, there are real concerns on if he's too stubborn. Regragi went in with a 4-1-4-1, and that worked really good at the World Cup when he was playing out of possession. But at the African Cup of Nations, what we saw was when his team got into some trouble, for example, when Hakim Ziyech was injured and they couldn't rely on his magical left foot and you know free kicks or set pieces or to play you know cutting through balls in behind the defenders there was never really a plan b he never changed his formation um yeah there wasn't any real way that they could shift gears you know into a third or fourth or fifth gear um, and offer something different and the good thing about regreg is that he took responsibility you know he said yeah it's my fault and now the question is, is he going to be able to accurately self-assess himself and do it in time for the uh, 2025 African Cup of Nations, which is just, again, uh, about 13 or 14 months away. Um, and this is the one for Morocco that they cannot really... It's not that they can't lose it. It's that this is the golden opportunity. They haven't won an African Cup of Nations since 1976. Now it's at home. No more excuses. You have a good team with a good coach. They almost have to get this one, right? So you can feel the pressure sort of mounting on the Atlas Lions and on their coach. But I think he has, you know, a great, young, talented generation of players coming in who, you know, in one year's time might be entering the peak of their powers. So now it's up to him really to... He has the ingredients. Time for him to come up with the recipe. And not just one recipe. He needs to come up with an entree, a main dish, dessert... You know, uh, coffee, everything. Let's leave Morocco aside and let's go to Tunisia. Tunisia are a complete mess, unfortunately. Um, the federation jail, the sorry, the federation president, Wadi Al-Jari, is still in jail. He's still awaiting his judgment. Uh, there's an open war between him and his clan of administrators and the Ministry of Sport in Tunisia. Um, the elections for the new uh, federation are supposed to take place on March 9th, but to this date, there is no candidates. And so we don't know what's going to happen after March 9th. I think they're going to have to 
there's going to have to be like some kind of extraordinary summit or something. It's very, very complicated. But basically, the federation is going to be completely frozen for a while. Um, Tunisia as a country doesn't really have much infrastructure in terms of stadiums or academies. They don't have a lot of cash to pay great coaches. They were paying the previous coach, Al Qadri, just $15,000 uh, a month. And he resigned after you know the poor showing at the African Cup of Nations. So it's not looking good for them. The only two real names that have come up as perhaps successors to Jalal Qadri are Corentin Martins and Uber Valud, two names that are, you know, seen as viable coaches on the African continent. You know, they do have experience, you know, with Mauritania, Burkina Faso, uh, coaching a few different clubs on the continent. But they're definitely, you know, a class B or a class C in terms of how they're viewed or how they're considered. On the African continent, they're not, you know, um, they're not a Carlos Queiroz, for example, who's seen as a little bit of a of a better option, or Hugo Bruce or Hervé Renard, you know, they're seen as a step under. Neither of them, for example, has ever coached, you know, uh, I think a World Cup team, if I'm not mistaken. Let's leave Tunisia aside, but they need to get their affairs in order. Another federation that needs to get its affairs in order is Algeria. So, this is a crazy story, but. After Algeria was eliminated at the 2023 African Cup of Nations in Cote d'Ivoire, the federation president goes to Jamal Belmadi and says, look, we've been eliminated from two African Cup of Nations consecutively in the group stages, despite the fact that 16 teams out of 24 get to the next stage. We didn't qualify to the 2022 World Cup. I think we both agree that it's time to move on. And the coach Jamal Belmadi pretty much said, yeah, you know what, I think you're right. It's time to move on. We can go our separate ways. What Jamal Belmadi wanted was to go back to Algiers and have a press conference and explain, you know, why he failed and how he failed and uh, answer questions, you know, in front of the press and, and go out on his own terms. But what ended up happening was that the Federation president, Walid Sadi, puts a tweet out saying, you know, Jamal Belmadi and I have come to an agreement and he's leaving. <laughs> and Belmadi was pissed. So when they get back to Algiers, the rest of his staff, you know, they signed for two months of salary. But Jamal Belmadi doesn't sign his resignation. And what you have to understand that is that in Jamal Belmadi's contract, which runs until 2026, there are no objectives in his clause. It's not like they put, you have to reach the semifinal of the African Cup of Nations, otherwise we're, we can fire you. There are no objectives in his clause. So he can stay technically until 2026. He can go to FIFA and FIFA is going to give him, you know, the four or five million euros that are still owed to him. Um... And so as of now, Jamal Bamadi, he left Algeria. He still hasn't signed <laughs> his resignation. But Algeria have said that they're going to continue and pursue another coach. There have been two or three coaches on the list, you know, Carlos Quiros, uh, Vahid Halilodzic, and Vladimir Petkovic. Those are the ones that the Algerian Federation seemed most interested in. Carlos Quiros kind of came to an agreement with the Federation, but then didn't agree on the finer details and politely declined. Fahid Halilodzic, I believe, um, some people believe that it's actually Algeria that declined, maybe because of how he left last time. Um, and finally, Vladimir Perkovic is not really seen as, um, I, don't, I think neither side really agreed. And now, apparently, Algeria are targeting Jose Pissero from Nigeria. And um, they want to make an offer, and Pissero is considering if he wants to extend his contract with the Nigerian Football Federation or the Algerian Football Federation, so we'll see how that goes. But once Algeria gets their coach in, they need to find a way to get the other coach to resign <laughs> uh, amicably, hopefully, 
Um, and then this new coach has, you know, a lot to do with so many things coming up. Egypt. <laughs> okay, Algeria are a mess. Tunisia are in a bigger mess. Egypt, it feels like, are in... It's crazy. So Egypt came, and after the AFCON, they hired Hussam Hassan, one of their greatest strikers ever in Egyptian football history, probably the greatest striker in Egyptian football history, and Ibrahim Hassan, the greatest right back in Egyptian history, and they're twins, Hussam and Ibrahim Hassan, if you don't know them. Um, they're twins, they're coaches, but what you have to know is that They've never really been considered, you know, a world-class tactician or a great coach. What the twins are known for is insulting, being fiery, being tough, being passionate, not really, you know, their footballing acumen. And a lot of people think that the reason why this appointment was made was an economic one. You know, the twins, uh, I, well, actually, Hossam Hassan's salary is going to be 15 or 16,000 euros, which is, you know... I, th I believe I read online was a little, I mean, I think, I think it's 10%, no, a little less than 10% maybe of, uh, of what Revitoria was being paid. Um, and the, what you don't know if you don't, is the Egyptian economy is really, really not do, in a good place at all. Um, I had a friend that I was talking to two days ago. He told me the price of cooking oil increased by 200% in two weeks. Um, at the African Cup of Nations, we only saw four or five Egyptian journalists um, at, the, at the African Cup of Nations, which is crazy. Usually there's at least 60 or 70. Um, and when we asked why, they said because media outlets don't really have money at the moment. So the Egyptian Federation, but Egypt as a country, is not in a good place at the moment. Uh, they make this appointment, and I think we're entering the Egyptian banter era. <laughs> because Hossam Hassan... You know, as a player, one time they went to go play a friendly in Lebanon and there was like a skirmish and there was a military man on the side of the pitch who runs on with his rifle. Hassan Hassan wanted to grab the rifle and shoot somebody. He's that crazy. One time a photographer took a photo of him that was unflattering. He ran after the photographer, grabbed his camera, smashed it on the floor, kicked the photographer when he was on the ground. Um, this is the kind of coach that we should be getting, you know. We should be, the press conferences should be very entertaining uh, might be beefing with other coaches and the brothers they're, they're both the same you know they they have the same mentality they look the same they're identical twins they even apparently got married on the same day at, at the same wedding so <laughs> not to the same woman thankfully but um this is like this is what we're getting in egyptian football so it should be very entertaining i don't think it's probably a recipe for success but we'll see how it goes mauritania Mauritania only got one win from four matches at the AFCON, but it was the most important win in national team history. As a result, Amir Abdu and his team, when they return to Mauritania, they're greeted as heroes. And Amir Abdu and I think his agent, they do a really good job of saying, you know, he's in demand and Algeria wants to hire him, which was, you know, rubbish. And if you look at Amir Abdu and who he's being linked with, he was linked with maybe four or five national teams. But he ends up extending his contract to $35,000 per week, uh, which is absolutely huge for Mauritania that's a lot of money and Ahmed Yahya is a president at the Mauritanian Federation that has money um, but I just wonder if it's justified after having one win of the four matches you know um, they do have a lot of work to do in FIFA World Cup qualifying they lost DR Congo and they tied South Sudan which is not a good result at all um, so 
I think it, it's good to have continuity. I probably wouldn't have paid Amir Abdul $35,000 a week, or sorry, a month. But um, but it's good for them to have continuity. But I just wonder, what more can he do with this squad of players? Can Maybe he can get out of the group again in Morocco. I'm pretty sure I'll bet my house that they can't qualify to the World Cup. So is it worth the wages? I, if I was Federation president, I wouldn't have done it, but... Again, continuity should see them get better. Burkina Faso fired Uber Valud. I think it was the most underwhelming AFCON for Burkina Faso in a very, very long time. Um, the names that are being mentioned to replace him are Kamu Malo, who, again, I think he's a police officer, father of Patrick Malo, who's a right back for Burkina Faso. Um, and he was the coach of Burkina Faso at the previous African Cup of Nations before in Cameroon. Um, the other name that's being apparently thrown around is Aristide Bonse, the legendary striker for Burkina Faso. But he came out online and said that it's too early for him and that he won't be taking that job. Um, whoever it is, I think they're going to have to find a striker because Burkina Faso only really scored on penalty kicks at the AFCON. The good news for them is that Shakhtar Donetsk in the Europa League today, you know, Lasina Traore is back. They're a very, very talented striker that struggled with so many debilitating injuries. So having him back is step one. But then also, they're going to have to find a way to integrate their 17, 18-year-old, very talented youngsters. They have a striker named Suleiman Aliu, seen as one of the best strikers uh, of at his age, signed with Nordschland in Denmark. And they also have you know Usman Kamara, who reminds me of a little bit of Bertrand Traore, more of a creative attacking midfielder. So Burkina Faso need more offensive firepower, and they need a coach to replace Uber Valud, but I don't think they have a budget to, to bring in a world-class coach. Let's talk about Mali. Eric Sekwishela, their coach, has 12 wins, 5 draws, and 2 losses. 36 goals for, 12 goals against. The Minister of Sport and the President of the Federation came out and said, we don't know if we're going to extend him or if we're going to keep him or maintain him, but they will. With that kind of record, they will. But the thing with Mali is that they have the, well, let's call it the Senegal Syndrome, you know, which is when you get to the important part of a tournament, they always seem to fail. And that was Senegal prior to 2021. You know, they didn't win a trophy at any level uh, at, with any national team. And for Mali to, you know, they always get to the semifinals and crash out. They need to find a way to get over their mental hurdle. And their loss to Cote d'Ivoire was by and large a mental one. But still, I think their coach Chalet looks good. Um, and they have, you know, a few big tests coming up in World Cup qualifying. Um, I just wonder if, you know, getting over that obstacle is it a coaching thing? Or maybe you need a star player like Senegal had with Sadio Mane. That's one thing I keep thinking about, you know. Somebody to take the game in their own hands and, and put it away. Cape Verde uh, come into a, you know, they're doing really good in FIFA World Cup qualifiers with four points. Uh, they were, in my opinion, the most impressive side in Cote d'Ivoire in terms of tactically and technically. Uh they also went home with a hero's welcome. The coach Bubista signed, you know, endorsement contracts with a water company. He was honored in municipalities and city halls. So honestly, everything looks good for Cape Verde. Um, I just hope they can continue what they were doing in Cote d'Ivoire. Guinea. Uh, Kaba Diawara was highly doubted prior to the tournament. He had, you know, Guinea, I think, exceeded expectations because of how they looked prior to the tournament. But I think their results... Uh, outweigh their performances you know they only really played well for one and a half matches in my opinion which was against you know maybe a half against Cameroon 
and uh, we'll say against the Gambia, they outplayed them. But I thought they were outplayed by Equatorial Guinea in the round of 16. They were very lucky to beat them, and then they, they didn't do anything against DR Congo. So for me, Guinea, there's nothing new under Kabadiawara or, or anyone else. They still look like a disjointed team, a team of individuals, not really a team that's more than a sum of their parts. Um, and I think they're going to remain that way, even if they continue with Kabadiawara, who has he himself has to decide if he wants to continue with Guinea. Cote d'Ivoire, the champions. Uh, what, what do they do with Emrys Fai? I don't think you can fire him, obviously, right? I mean, he won you an African Cup of Nations. He doesn't have his coaching badges, though. But still, I think he'll stay on. And maybe he's going to hire, you know, another coach with their coaching badges as an assistant coach. Um, but the good thing about Cote d'Ivoire is that they know their best 11 now. You know, they know that Simon Dengar should be starting on the left. They know that Sebastian Allaire is going to be starting as a striker. And then on the right, you can play whoever, Pepe or Gradel. They know who their midfielder is supposed to be. They know Jean-Michel Seri balances that midfield with Kessier and Seko Fofana. I just hope that they can keep this team together, you know, until the World Cup. Because you hear rumors about Seko Fofana maybe wanting to retire, Max Alain Gradel wanting to retire. Um, and I just wonder, again, can they keep this team together? Um, Serge Aurier as well. Um, if they do, they know their best 11. They can get, you know, an experienced assistant coach in to maybe accompany Amherst Faye. Cote d'Ivoire look good. I think they're coming back into that top five African teams uh, on the continent at the moment. Guinea-Bissau, Bashiro Kande is gone. What? He's been in the job for eight years, I believe, from 2016. And he, prior to that, I think he also had a stint with the national team where he was with them for maybe nine years. I'm making up numbers, but he's been in total with them for more than 15 years, probably 17, something like that. So for him to be uh, fired is a little bit shocking, but at the same time, four consecutive AFCONs never make it out of the group stages. So what's next? Um, the Guinea-Bissau, the Guinea-Bissau, no, the Bissau-Guinean. <laughs> the Bissau-Guinean media are linking the jobs to Jorge Costa, Portuguese manager, and Abel Xavier, another Portuguese uh, manager who's originally from Mozambique. You know, the, I don't know if you remember him, the blonde guy with the hair for the Portuguese national team in Euro 2000. Um, so we'll see which direction they go. But they're in a good position in World Cup qualifying. They have four points. Um, what I would like to see from Guinea-Bissau now is for them to go on an offensive and pick up you know, a bunch of uh, talented youngsters that have suddenly emerged in Spain and Portugal. A player like uh, Ansu Fati, it's too late for him. But there are players like Claudio Gomez, players like Amadou Balde at Sporting. Those are young very talented players under the age of 23 that I would like to see Guinea-Bissau pick up because they have like some good players like the striker Francolino Zhu, you know, but I think they're overall an aging generation. So if they can renew, regenerate, and at the same time do it seamlessly and throw the World Cup qualifiers, uh, that could be good for them. Senegal. Uh, I almost said Leopold Senghor. Augustin Senghor said that uh, for Ali Yossise, there's no question of the federation or the government getting rid, of, getting rid of him. So now, straight on ahead, AFCON 2025 and World Cup 2026. They just need to make sure that he's paid. It came out during the tournament that he, wasn't been, he hasn't been paid for six months. I'm sure he will be paid. Um, but Senegal, yes, they lost to Cote d'Ivoire, the eventual champions, but 
uh, prior to that, everybody thought they were the most impressive team in the tournament. So um, I think there's not much they should be changing. They should just continue to do what they've been doing. The Gambia, Tom Saint-Feet, after five years, decides to resign from the Gambian national team. Here's a little bit of a bombshell. After speaking to some Gambian journalists, they told me that nobody's been re nobody's replaced him yet. That I think the the job vacancy hasn't even been posted yet. Nobody's you know thrown their hat in the ring, so to speak. Uh, the Gambia were supposed to have you know preliminary qualifiers for the 2025 Afcon in March, so next month. And some journalists are convinced that the Gambia actually might withdraw from that. Um, I'm not sure if it's due to financial issues or something else, but things are really stagnating and even regressing for the Gambia. So that's a shame. They need to make sure that they get their uh, federation and administrative issues sorted to make sure they can continue to progress. For Ghana, Chris Hutton obviously resigned after they crashed out in the group stages again, like Algeria. Um so Chris Hutton is done, and there's been a huge campaign by journalists. Hashtag Save Ghana Football. You can look it up on Twitter or X, um, and you'll see that they actually had protests in front of the Ghanaian Federation. It later came out that you know the budget for the Ghanaian delegation was more than I think it was eight million dollars. Um, I don't know if all of it was used, but that's a huge budget, and it, all of a sudden stories come out about you know all these shady people around the team taking money that. You know, is not does not belong to them. And that's uh, you know, it's a shame. It's a shame, but maybe this movement, because it really seems like people are dejected and have completely had enough, and they will not accept the this the way it's been going for Ghana. Maybe this can be like a sort of defibrillator. You know, it can shock the Ghanaian national team uh, back into form. I think what they need to do, and and it looks like they're gonna appoint Otto Ado as I'm recording this podcast to succeed uh, Chris Hutton. So he's his predecessor and his successor. Um, I think he's going to have to rip the Band-Aid off. No more IU brothers. Inyaki Williams is a great player, but it seems to be a failed experiment. Give us those young, exciting players. Give us an Ibrahim Osman who's going to be at Brighton into 2024. Give us Ernest Nuama. Give us, um, you know, Mohamed Kudus, Sul Kamaldin Suleimana. You have the young, exciting talent. Daniel Afri, why not? You know, give it, give them to us. We're sick of the the old, stale generation. Give us a new generation. And the same thing. I didn't mention that for Algeria, but same thing for Algeria. Uh, Nigeria uh, performed a lot better than I think we all expected at this African Cup of Nations. And the coach Jose Pissarro deserves a lot of credit for that. He changed his formation. He changed you know a lot of um, habits, bad habits that the Super Eagles had prior to the tournament. Um, and Pesero's in demand. I already mentioned that Algeria have made him an offer uh, that he's considering. Um, and they, Nigeria wants to extend him as well. So if he stays with Nigeria, I'm just going to be curious to see, do they persist and do they continue with that compact style of play where they hit teams vertically on a counterattack? Or are they going to go back to this 4-4-2 that he was trying before the tournament that wasn't really working? And are they going to look as organized as they look during the tournament, are they going to start looking disorganized as they did prior? I would be shocked if they regressed that badly, but that's one thing that we have to ask. Cameroon. <laughs> uh, Cameroon. Cameroon, uh, the president, Samuel Etofis, um, apparently handed a letter of resignation saying, I'm going to quit, and then uh, 
his resignation was rejected, I think, by the board. Like, no, we don't accept it. And I'm like, come on, man. Do we look stupid? You know, like, like he tried to show that he's going to take accountability, but it's not. He still hasn't fired Rico Bersong. During the tournament, there was a huge investigation that came out from The Athletic investigating his corruption. Um, with, from when I speak to Cameroonian journalists, they told me that these are all very credible allegations. Um, and that I think sooner rather than later, I think FIFA are going to come down on Samuel Eto'o, which is a shame because obviously an iconic player, the best, in my opinion, the most titled, the most accolades of any African player in, in history. Um, very charismatic, uh, respected by everybody. And for him to go out like this, again, it would be such a shame, but I think FIFA is going to come down on him sooner rather than later. So... If this happens and Rigo Bersang is out too, I think Cameroon are coming to an end of a cycle. So players like Vincent Bubakar, Carl Tokwe Kambi, uh, players like, well, Chupo Moting wasn't even at the last AFCON, but he's going to be gone too. Zambo and Gisa is coming to the end of his prime. Um, yeah, I think we're coming to the sort of end of that cycle of players. And we're going to have to see if Cameroon can produce a new cycle of players. Uh, Equatorial Guinea, <laughs> wow, if you haven't been keeping up with Equatorial Guinea, go look up what's been happening over there. After the tournament, uh, it turns out, well, the Federation comes out with uh, a statement saying that they're reshuffling their staff, they're keeping the coach, but they're reshuffling his staff, and that Emilio Nsui and Ivan Idu Salvador, you know, the number six with the dyed hair in Cameroon, but he didn't have dyed hair this time around, but very scrappy midfielder. They were both being disciplined. Um, then some media reports came out that they stole like a safe in the hotel. Other media reports came out that they were doing weird things in public. We didn't really know what to make of it. Emilio and Sue on Thursday evening goes on live on Instagram. And he says, he just basically lights the house on fire. Feggy uh, Foot, the Equato Guinean Federation, um, they're all corrupt. The Federation president is corrupt. They've stolen more than a million euros from us. Uh, you know, they, they owe, I don't know how much money to the hotel in Malibu and the Sofitel, and they, they put it on the players. Uh, they falsified <laughs> vaccination certificates in Cameroon. Uh, just like everything. Basically saying, it's us, the players, and he's saying the players are unified behind him, or the Federation president. So um, one or the other. And we'll see what the authorities of the country or what the board of the Federation decide. But <laughs> it's like a drama, like a Spanish soap opera. Um, what's crazy is that, you know, over the last three years, Equatorial Guinea have been one of the most impressive sides in Africa, in my opinion. Um, you know, they have six points out of two matches in World Cup qualifying. They had a great run at the 2021 AFCON in Cameroon. They had a great run at this AFCON in Cote d'Ivoire. So you would think that, you know, if they had that much success, there would be good organization at the federation level. So for this to come out like this just shows you that sometimes there's no logic to the AFCON. <laughs> um, DR Congo, like Equatorial Guinea, in my opinion, and Cape Verde, one of the hottest sides on the continent over the last 18 months. Um, and they, they stuck with their coach, Sebastian de Sabra, who's really largely responsible for turning things around for them. Um, 
and now really my question is, can they build upon this? You know, um, They've been to the semifinals before, and they've won third-place matches before, like in 2015. And then they just fell apart. Nothing ever came of it. And I wonder if they can build on this third-place finish. Or they didn't even finish third, right? South Africa did on this fourth-place finish. Um, yeah, we'll see. Mozambique had a hero's welcome, like Cape Verde, like uh, Mauritania. Um, they didn't even win a game at the AFCON, but they had two draws. Um, and, you know, Cote d'Ivoire and Ivorians are always thanking Moroccans for uh, their title, and they should, because that Morocco win against Zambia is essentially what sent them into the knockout stages. But if Mozambique doesn't equalize against Ghana, <laughs> Cote d'Ivoire is probably out too. So you should be thinking Mozambique too. Uh, the coach, Chiquinho Conde, is staying on until at least July. Okay. That's when his contract runs out. Um, one thing we didn't pick up over in the tournament was that there were actually uh, disagreements within the, the, the camp for bonuses and for financial compensation, and that flew under the radar. Um, but what Chiquinho Conde is going to do, and this is really cool, is he's flying to Portugal for one month to learn. And this reminds me of when I interviewed Rolani Makwena from South Africa, and he said, he took a one-year hiatus and just watched football in Europe and just tried to learn and pay attention to everything that was happening. Um, so Chiquinho Conde is going to here, going to Portugal for one month to learn, and then they're playing some friendly matches in March. I assume if they do well in those, then he's going to stay on the job. Um, they did a good job against Algerian World Cup qualifiers, um, but I, I think they have three points. They beat Botswana, I think, who are second. So they're they're in a decent place. They just need to continue improving as they have been uh, Tanzania Hamed Morocco I think the interim coach I haven't seen any indication that he's going to go so he might stay and become the full-time coach I just don't see any clear direction from the Tefa stars you know they're, they're best players over the last five years probably Simon Msuva and Mbwana Samata they're both aging he made Mao is aging John Boko he's not really been in the squad anyways but he's aging they have some young defenders, but I just don't know who's going to replace all of these players, especially in attack. Uh, that Kelvin John, for example, was supposed to be a wonder kid, never, never really got around to developing the way he was supposed to. Adlam Rush, the coach, brought in a bunch of young talent, but they were all playing in like I don't know second reserve team of Vancouver Whitecaps or in the fifth or sixth division in England. I don't think those are players you can rely on to be the future of the Tanzania national team. So I just don't know where it's going to come from. And they're hosting the 2027 AFCON, so they need to get it together. As for Zambia, Avram Grant is staying. He said that um, he gave apparently a really controversial interview at home where he said, I don't see, uh, or he said the transits were too long when they were flying to Cote d'Ivoire, um, that they stayed nine hours and that it was very tiresome, you know, traveling to Cote d'Ivoire. Um, and he said, when we saw how Fekafut prepared, meaning the Cameroonian national team, who they played in a pre-tournament friendly, uh, that's when he realized how bad uh, that Zambia you know, prepared for the AFCON. And then he later came out and said, no, I never gave this interview, so we don't know what to believe. But he's staying on for the moment. He visited Patsandaka in England. And um, you know, after that very successful qualifying campaign, I can understand that. But we'll see if he can continue that success or if it was a fluke. Uh, oh, yeah. Shout out Zambia, too, because Rachel Kundananji sets a world record for a transfer fee for uh, any 
footballer, any female footballer, uh, African or non-African. So respect, really, really cool. Uh, Angola, I remember, I don't know if you remember, but initially they said that their coach Pedro Gonçalves was gone. Well, I mean, that's what was coming out of Angolan cyberspace. And now it seems like he's staying, which is, I think, good news because Angola, again, if you look at their squad, they have that young generation of players, Zito, Lovumbu, Capita, uh, Zini, uh, Milson. These are like very talented young players. Jolson Dalla is not old necessarily. Uh, Mabalulu is not old. Um, I think, you know, that there's something in that, that group keeping them together. They really, really made people proud at home. So keeping them together and trying to advance with them is the right way. And I think if they do that with Pedro Gonzalez, who, remember, was their coach at the under-17 level and grew with this generation of players, I think that's the right move. And finally, last but not least, South Africa. Um, they have a friendly tournament coming up in March in Algeria. Uh, they're going to be playing against Bolivia and Algeria. Looks like Hugo Bruce is staying on unless another federation can sort of lure him away with a higher salary. Um, and South Africa, I mean, I, I said this, you know, after they won third place, this is a golden generation of sorts, you know, Percy Tao and Temba Zwane and, um, you know, Tebo Mokwena <laughs> and his political choices <laughs> and, you know, uh, you know, Mudao and Mudiba and Rano and Williams. This really is a golden generation and they play so well together. So I think the thing is, they're all aging too. They're all, you know, 28 or, or around that age or, or a little bit older. So they have this two competition window between the 2025 AFCON and the 2026 World Cup. Stick with this group. See how far they can get you. They won you the third place match, um, a third place medal in Cote d'Ivoire. So I think stick with this group and throw in a striker. Let's see how Lyle Foster, uh, he seems to have recovery, seems to be playing football. Let's see how he can gel and sort of mesh with this group. Maybe Lebo Motiba. Um, instead of evidence Makopa, who, who wasn't horrible, but I think, you know, those other two are just a step above. So that's my, my thing. Um, how long did we end up going for here? Uh, 35 minutes. Okay, not too long. Well, right on <laughs> exactly what I predicted. Um, so I just wanted to, we didn't talk about Namibia. I forgot to research what's going on over there. I think they're sticking with Colin Benjamin, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but yeah. Thanks for listening. I just needed to get back into the habit of, you know, talking to the camera and podcasting. I need to make sure we stay consistent uh, after, you know, the world, the African Cup of Nations. Um, tomorrow, I'm going to be heading to El Ahli versus Sierra Belwizad in the African Champions League. So maybe uh, might do a vlog from there. Otherwise, uh, I'm going to continue doing a weekly breakdown, probably starting on Monday. We're going to go back to the African Football Report every single week recapping the weekend action and then on Fridays I think we're going to go back to a general theme which is you know going to be match day two for those that aren't familiar for those of you that found this podcast uh, during the African Cup of Nations prior to the African Cup of Nations we were breaking the podcast down into match days so match day one was really about examining African heads of state and their relationship with football. So we talked about Kwame Nkrumah, Gamal Abdel Nasser. We talked about uh, Mobutu Sese Seko, Ahmed Seko Toure, and others. So you can find those videos in the channel um, under Match Day 1. And Match Day 2 is going to be a different theme. And I'm going to announce that on next Friday. We're going to start Match Day 2. So we're going to have a new theme where we're talking about something in African football, probably related to history, politics, um, and so on and so forth.
So thanks for listening. Uh, great to speak to the camera again. Great to speak to all of you again. Please do uh, continue to interact with this podcast. Please do share. Please do subscribe. It does help out a lot. And uh, we'll leave it there for now. Take care. Peace.